I really sense the Holy Spirit here this morning to uh, to help us to kick off the year. Um, and, you know, even the songs that we've been singing are leading right into the word uh, that I just felt stirred to share with everyone this morning. Uh, it's been on my heart, and uh, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Whenever God really confirms his word uh, through the worship time, and so, Happy New Year to everyone. Amen. Look at somebody and say, Happy New Year. Now you can say it biblically, Blessed New Year. How's that? Just have a blessed New Year. I'd rather have a blessed New Year than just a happy New Year. Um, as Tyler said, last year we made it to this year. And hopefully last year taught us a lot. And we learned a lot from it. And we walked out of that year and into this year in, in, a, in a better position than we started it. Uh, I want to uh, just uh, give some of what I believe uh, the, the kickoff of this year, what it would merit for us to uh, maybe take some thoughts to mind and maybe stir up the heart of where we're at and where we uh, maybe should be at and where God would like for us to be at, where we should be heading toward, and, and hopefully encourage us uh, with some thoughts today and some scriptures today that, uh, that God wants to, us to hear. Uh, I want to start with reading a verse together. Um, it's found in Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21 um, is up there, uh, and I'd like for us to read this together, and then there's two scriptures I'm going to ask you to read, maybe three, out loud together, and I want you to do it with some, uh, some umph in you, because uh, it's the Word of God, and here, here, here we go. Let's read it off of the screen. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Okay, I can almost hear you. I can almost hear you online also. Let's read this uh, together again. Many. That's an awesome thing, isn't it? It's an awesome, it's an awesome thing because how many have been watching through this past year the plans of man? Trying to break forth into, and in particular, if we just refer it to our nation, and really it's a worldwide thing, but the, the plans of man are trying to break through. But I was glad to read this and, and realize that it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. Let's read Psalms 33 and verse 11. It's not an unfamiliar topic throughout the scriptures, but let's read this together. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of the heart go through all generations. Okay, let's read that one more time. But okay, how long do the Lord's plans stand? Forever. That should be very reassuring to me because as I read His plan, as I read it, I can know that it's not going to alter. It's not going to change. It's not going to fail, but it's literally going to stand forever. It's going to be the one thing, and the Bible says that about the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and uh, is that the Word will be forever. It's an unchanging Word. It's a powerful Word. It's a life-changing Word, and within it holds the plans of the Lord, and they stand firm forever, and His Word his plans are going to prevail. Now, this is important for us because we're going to see the plans of man try to arise around us. And if we're not careful, we can become fearful, frightened. We can run. We can hide. We can be silenced. We can do all these things and, and forget that really God's plan is going to prevail, which, which really it begs me to know what those plans are so that I can stay in tune with those. And it's important for us to know that. And Jeremiah says this um, about the plans of God, and I, I'm not sure what I put up there. I think I just put the last one up, the last verse. But let me read some previous verses to the verse that we're all so familiar with and we all quote so often. Jeremiah 29, 
uh, starting with verse 4. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. In other words, they were, going, they were into captivity here. And this is what he says to them. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat food that they produce. Verse 6, marry and have children and then find spouses for them so that they may have many grandchildren. Multiply is what he's saying. Doesn't that sound familiar from the garden? I want you to multiply. And, and, and he says, do not dwindle away. Verse 7, and work for peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for it is its welfare will determine your welfare. Why have we been praying for our nation this past year so much? Because it does determine your welfare or how you live, your daily life. And, and uh, the, the plans of God are not going to change and they're not going to fail, but we can affect the atmosphere around us. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. Many of us would be familiar with the 70-year prophecy. But then I will come and do for you all the good things that I have promised, and then I will bring you home again. So in other words, sometimes we go through seasons of challenges that we don't understand, and they seem to be going against what the promises of God are saying. But he's saying here, don't worry, I have not forgotten my plan. My plan is sure. It's going to prevail forever. It's not going to change. Yes, you're in a season now of bondage, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to live in the power and the might of God in the midst of that city. Don't withdraw. Don't dwindle away. Don't stop living. This is the word of the Lord. Be, you will be in Babylon for seven years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things that I have promised, and I will bring you home again. Then he jumps into the verse that we all know. For I know the plans I have for you. Remember, these plans aren't going to fail, says the Lord. <clears throat> they are plans for what? Good and not disaster. How many want to claim that for 2021? How many believe his plan can prevail? Right? I mean, this is, this is true. This is what I got to get a hold of. I got to take this verse in the context of the fact that they were still in Babylon. But it didn't really matter to God. Because nothing really matters to God outside of his plan that he's going to fulfill. Amen? And I, and I, I say that, of course. For I know the plans I have. You said they are plans for good and not disaster to give you what? A future and a hope. And in those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found of you, says the Lord, and then I will end your captivity and I will restore your fortunes. Wow, what a powerful thing for God to come onto the scene and keep in mind the context of where they're at. He's not sitting back saying, oh man, you're messed up now, you're in Babylon. My plans aren't going to succeed, they're not going to go forth. Well, that's just not true. And so let's pray right now as we go into the Word. I want to show you some things throughout Bible history and our history and where we're at today and how we can apply some of it for our lives uh, in this hour. Father, thank you for your Word. I, I pray for everyone, uh, again, online and, and here in this room, Father, that hear this Word, that whatever their condition, whatever their understanding is, Father, that today the blessing of understanding and revelation would be upon each one of us. And we would, get, we would see beyond just the natural and step over into the supernatural so that we can see, God, what you have in mind. We can see, God, what you're saying to us today so we can get a hold of this, Father God, and be strengthened in our walk with you and in our understanding of your purpose and your plan that will not fail. Let your blessing be upon your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, God uh, has uh, really done a lot in and through America. And I think we realize that. It's been a very long-standing season of revival that's happened. I'm not sure if it's the longest, but it would be considered one of the longest standings of God's revival upon a nation that we read about. Uh, we see it going from the 1700s and the 1800s and the 1900s and, and, and throughout that season, even up to our day, and I believe we're about to experience one here, we see revival after revival after revival. But I want 
to show you first this morning is how prevalent revivals are in the scriptures. And maybe we could also understand why revivals are needed in the process and, 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 and why do things end up getting so bad and going so wrong and so awry. And, and maybe that we can maybe step into our place today in this year to make a difference for the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Because you are the revival that you're looking for. You're the revival that you're waiting for. And Alan, uh, Alan Buster read the verse out of Esther this morning in our prayer time and, and, and where Esther's being challenged up and just saying, you know, uh, you can sit back and do nothing and you'll experience the same trouble Okay, that all the Jewish people will experience, or you can step up, and he says it like this, for such a time of this as this, God has called you up. And I just wonder if we could receive that call ourselves today, that this year, this is the time for us to step up and step in to the very plan and purpose of God, because it won't fail. It will prevail. It's going to be for sure. And if I believe his word at all, then I'm really going to believe that because we just read it. And his plans are good plans. And he has a good purpose in mind. But we've seen revival after revival throughout history. And I want to just go through um, some of those because I think it's time for us to experience another history-making move of God by his sovereign grace. This is what we're going to find out, and I'm believing for that. I, I think many of you would not have seen or experienced a revival in your lifetime. And it's time, and I believe that we are nearing that. And uh, it's important for us to understand this um, uh, because we are, again, the revival <laughs> that we have been looking for and waiting for. Matthew Henry, a great uh, scholar, uh, in the 1600s, said this here, whenever God is about to do something truly great, he first sets his people praying. He first sets his people praying. Can I ask you, how many maybe pray just a little bit more in 2020? <laughs> and if you didn't, you should have. <laughs> you know, we, 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 people are praying everywhere, you know, and, and we're just crying out to God and say, God, what... You know, and not just for our own sake, but for people's sake, for the world's sake. And, 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 and we're, we're crying out to God and we're praying and seeking his face. And I think in the midst of that, we're going to begin to experience a revival. There's many revivals in the scriptures. And on your notes, I put uh, the different ones and I put the scriptures with those so that I'm Believing that you would maybe do a little bit of research yourself, and if you're online, we have these notes. If you just uh, email me or email the church, we'll get those to you. Um, and we are working on getting those online, but they're just not there yet. Uh, but I want to look at a time period. There's revivals before this and after this, but I want to look at a time period called the period of the Judges. And it's, it starts in about 1400 B.C. and goes to 1,000, so about 400 years. Uh, if, if you read through the book of Judges, it's exciting, but then it's disappointing, and then it's exciting again, and then it gets disappointing, and then it's exciting, and then it gets disappointing again. And it's just it's this up-and-down trail, and, and, and if we can see what's happened here, uh, we'll begin to realize uh, maybe something that we can learn from this and step into it for this year. Uh, there's distinct uh, revival characteristics which are discernible in the book of Judges, and that's what we want to look at. Uh, the first point of this, of a revival, is the people serve the Lord. People begin to serve the Lord. You can uh, yeah, go to the next one, I think. Uh, the next possible, there we go. There we go. Thank you. The people begin to serve the Lord. The people serve the Lord. Now keep in mind that Judges is coming off of the book of Joshua. Joshua was the one that took them into the promised land. Remember that? And he lived through and they were conquering their enemies and everything was going well until Joshua died and it says all of his elders died. And what it said next is that the people uh, that did not know the Lord rose up. 
So somehow, and I'm not sure exactly what happened here, but somehow Joshua and his elders did not pass on the revival very well because there was a generation that came up after them that knew nothing of it. And so this is the setting that we find judges in. All of a sudden, people begin to turn away from the Lord and do their own thing. And so it says this, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. You read this in chapter 2. And then he goes on to say in, in verse 11, And then the people forsook the Lord. Then the children of Israel did, did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served Baals. In other words, they begin to forsake the Lord, they begin to sin against him, and then even worse, they begin to set up the gods of the world. The Baals represented different gods, and they would set those up. And it's interesting because usually when you study the term Baal, it relates to uh, a sexual god. And, and if you look at some of the gods, it's very evident that that's what they are. And isn't it interesting that in our day that's very prevalent that we see this whole sexual revolution come up and, and it's, it's trying to just come straight in the face of people and it is coming in the face of people and it's causing great trouble and struggle and challenges for many people because they're turning to the Baals. They're turning to the gods of this world. They're turning to uh, different areas and they're not recognizing this as something maybe much worse than what they realize. It's just a little pleasure. A little, and, and, and so it says they, they forsook the Lord. And then in verse, uh, um, and, uh, in verse uh, 14 in chapter 2, it says, God defeated them through the enemies. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunder who despoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemy all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. It wasn't unusual in the Old Testament for God to use ungodly nations to put pressure on Israel, the godly nation, uh, to pull them what? Not to, to kill them off, but to get them back into alignment with him. And so that was his goal. That was his pressure, is just getting them back in alignment. And, you know, it's interesting because as I was studying through this, I'm just thinking in my head right now, Look around us. I hope that you don't think everything that's happening right now is just politics. I hope you're seeing beyond that. And I hope that you're seeing maybe in a little bit deeper way, which is hard to do through our media because they don't get it either. Okay? For the most part, they don't get it. That There's a spiritual attack against a spiritual nation. We are still the most godly nation in the world that pres prescribes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You don't find that everywhere. I know you're not there, but you go everywhere around this world. You're just not going to find it. And yet we see these nations. That's all we've heard last year. Russia and China. And, you know, are they, they, well, I don't know that that should be a total surprise to us. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. It's much deeper than politics, and that's what we need to understand. That's what we need to step back and pray, because if all I'm doing is praying for politics, I'm going to miss praying for what God might be saying to me about what he wants done for this year. Can I get a small amen? And this is truth. I'm just speaking truth to you. And I'm fearing that we're getting so wrapped up in, in, in the politics of it that we're maybe not really seeing what's really happening around us from a biblical past perspective. God always used ungodly nations to put pressures on Israel to get them back in alignment. And I think hopefully that's what happened to us last year. We're getting back into alignment with the Lord because his plan's going to prevail. He's right. His purpose is going to prevail. And we want to be on that side. And so then they went through this time where the enemy came in and put pressure on them. And then look in verse 18, 15 and 18. They were greatly distressed and the Lord moved with pity by their groanings. So he comes back to him. He always comes back when you cry out to him. I have found this totally amazing going through these scriptures just recently. 
How many times God keeps coming back? Don't think the grace of God isn't powerful and isn't totally awesome towards you. Don't think that at all. And then verse 5, it says, He had compassion and delivered. Verse uh, 16 and 18, The Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them, for the Lord was moved with pity. And I might just say he was moved with love. I didn't realize this, uh, actually, till this time around studying this. I've studied these before, that the judges were actually the leaders of the armies also. So they literally, would, a judge would rise up and put the army together and go destroy the enemy for the people. And, and uh, I just thought that was an interesting point in reading that out. But we see this, uh, this pattern of repeated uh, people, the people of God walking away from God, tapping into the bales or the things of this world. Remember, we were on a series about we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. Okay? And, 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 and going through these particular cycles over and over. I think about the, the revival in King David's time. And, and uh, again, I'd, we'd be here all day trying to go through all these. But what about in Elijah's day and all that took place with him and the revivals that took place with him? And then he passed on the mantle to Elisha who had a double portion. And, and the revivals took place again. And then we come to Jonah where we see two revivals. We see the revival of a man. And then we see the revival of a nation. And God has to get a hold of a man so he can get a hold of a nation. And so he's coming to call his people up, his church up, I believe, in this day to bring revival to the nation. And then we see, and I just put some of these downs on your, down on your notes for you, Second Chronicles, the revival that was under Asa uh, and uh, uh, under Hezekiah. Uh, and I like this here, just in case you are a little discouraged. Second Chronicles twenty nine thirty six. It's on your. I think it's on your notes. I'm not sure. Second Chronicles twenty nine thirty six. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for His people, because it was done so quickly. <laughs> it just seems like nothing's done real quickly, does it? But you know something? It all of a sudden it just happens. It says two are out in the field. One's taken. The other one's left in an instant. And, and so things can happen quickly. I have to stay alert. I have to stay attuned. I have to stay involved in what God's doing. We see in Second Chronicles, the Josiah then goes through a season of revival. Um, and, and then we go to Ezra and Nehemiah. And most of us here in this room would be familiar with those stories, how they went back to what rebuild the house of God, to restore the people of God. Ezra started out. The people started building. They became discouraged. Nehemiah is praying one day and, 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 and reaches out to somebody that had come from uh, Jerusalem and said, hey, how's it going? And he was honest, and he said, you know, it's really bad. The people are worn out, and they're tired, and they've kind of thrown in the towel. They've given up. The walls are broken down. The, the, the city's burning, and it's just a bad situation. Nehemiah takes a hold of this, remembers the promises of God, and steps up. And I find this interesting. He went to his boss, who happened to be the king, and said, listen, this is on my heart. I want to go back and save my people. And do you know his boss, his boss, the person that he worked for, paid his way to go and sent him with protection and the whole thing. God's able to take care of things if we just put our trust in him. And we decide that we're going to do something about it. What am I going to do about the condition of what's going on around me? And, and he saw this. And as you know, Nehemiah goes back and miraculously rebuilds the walls and everything else and restores the, the, the people of God and the house of God in just a short amount of time, 50-some days, I think it was. Completes the project, and, and the worship is back into the house, and, and there is a place now for God's presence to dwell and to be acknowledged and to be seen. And, and, and so it's interesting that uh, uh, it, he, he calls people out to make a difference, and I believe he still does that. Wilbur Smith, a theologian, he notes these nine characteristics of these revivals, and they're on your notes, I believe. It says, they occurred in times of moral darkness and national depression. Sound familiar? Uh, each began in the heart 
of a consecrated servant of God who became the energizing power behind it. So in other words, God sparked something in somebody. And they began to pray. And again, I, don't, I think that sometimes there's a person that's a catalyst to the revivals, but I believe we can always note that there's more than one person praying. There's a, the, the, the church is rising up and recognizing, wow, this is a bigger mess than I thought it was. We got to do something. We got to seek God. We got to call back on the presence of God to come and to his people, keeping in mind that I won't say that. Okay. Uh, each, number three, each revival rested on the word of God, and most were a result of proclaiming God's word with power. It wasn't man's word, it was God's word. Oftentimes they went back, they opened, the, opened up the word of God and said, Wow, even with the 70 year Babylonian captivity, that's what happened. All of a sudden they went back and they saw, Hey, this is the 70 year captivity. This is the 70th year. What are we doing? And all of a sudden, somebody was sparked, and they were awakened, and, 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 and God moved mightily. <clears throat> so each revival rested on the Word of God. Number four, all resulted in the return of the worship of God. All resulted in the return of the worship of God. I remember the psalmist uh, was challenged to take his harp back off of the willow tree. In other words, he hung it up. He was so discouraged. He was in such despair that he hung up his worship. You know that worship is something that is ignited inside because of a person. Now, we see this at concerts all the time, don't we? You want to see worship, go to a concert, man. They're just going nuts. You know, they were fainting for the Beatles. Come on. We see this, you know, all the time, and, and yet somehow when it comes to the church, we think we shouldn't get excited about who's on the platform. You know who's on the platform? Hopefully it's Jesus Christ, it's God. And should we be excited about our worship? Absolutely. Why would we not? Why would we let somebody else out-worship us that's worshiping a man or a group? Does that make sense? I mean, we got some, something locked into our heads that somehow church was supposed to be this quiet, somber, hymnal singing place. And there's nothing wrong with hymns. There's some amazing hymns, and they were powerful in that day, and some of them are still powerful in this day. But I'm telling you, as that as one reporter said, man, they were singing those songs as if they believed them. If a reporter came in this morning, if I take the video that I made of you for wor during worship, see that hidden camera up there? If I take that and give it to a reporter, what would they say about your worship? And again, every revival seems to express an increase of that. As a matter of fact, it said, the, the one reporter said, I, I couldn't believe it. They, they weren't singing the hymns, but they were all singing. That's a powerful, awesome thing. Each witnessed the destruction of idols where they existed. So all of a sudden, they begin to tear down the idols and get rid of them. If you go to the book of Acts, you'll see when a revival broke out there, it says they all brought their books and all brought their little gods, and they brought all their idols. When that revival broke out in the book of Acts, it says they piled them up and they burned them. Some of us need to burn a few idols. Some of us need to just burn them. You just need to get rid of them. This is part of what God's doing. Each revival, there was a recorded separation from sin. All of a sudden, a fresh conviction came upon them. Number seven, every revival, the people returned to obeying God's word. Now, let me just say this. Can I just be really honest with you this morning? Like I have been up to this point? That's <laughs> I better, better... <laughs> I better clarify that. <laughs> Are you obeying God's word? Are you born again? Have you let him take a hold of your heart and give you a new heart and, 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 and create a new birth in you? Or do you just come to church or you just hang around Christians? The Bible is very clear about getting a new heart for salvation. What about water baptism by immersion? Are you doing or have you done a biblical water baptism by total immersion? Remember, it was supposed to represent his death, his burial, right? 
and you've never seen anybody taken and laid on the ground and sprinkled with dirt, okay, it was death, they were totally immersed and brought back up. That's a biblical water baptism. And then what about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit with the evidences that come with it? You know, what about that baptism? What is it talking about there? What does the Bible speak about that? And, and why are we so shy about that? And, and I, I just go right down the line. What about uh, your giving and your finances and the stewardship of your life? How are you doing that biblically? Because when revival is to strike, it's when we all get back to his word. And we choose it. This is the truth. Everything about this is truth, and I'm going to obey whatever it says. And there's so many clear things in the Scriptures that it says that I find sometimes a challenge to get people to really see it and take a hold of it personally. Uh, number eight, there was a restoration of great joy and great gladness. And number nine, each revival was followed by a, a period of uh, national prosperity, which is interesting that uh, from the little bit of research that I've done, uh, on uh, different nations and different revivals and different places where the gospel has gone, every time, every place that a gospel has gone, uh, the life, morality, and prosperity of the people increase, never decreases. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But you, and you get to those places and you find out they got this little sun god or this little rock god and, and, they're, and they're living terrible lives. And you bring the gospel, and they get saved. Their eyes get open. God's revelation begins to come to them, and things begin to change for them. And it's an, it's an amazing thing to see uh, happen. <clears throat> now, all of this brings us to 2 Chronicles 7.14, another maybe over-familiar scripture for us. But listen to this, because it has four elements, I think, that uh, talk about the preparation for a revival to come. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. So it starts with you and I humbling ourselves and recognizing, you know, I'm really not greater than God. And when I come into his house, I'm humbled before him. Something takes place inside of my heart that tells me, God, you're here. God, you're awesome. God, I love you. Because, you know, you think about it, when, whenever you see it in the Bible, when they came into an encounter with God, they all fell on their faces before him. I mean, something hit them that was not new to the world. And that is a humility that came upon them because of the presence of God. That was, it's every story. Read it all through it. You know, they all just said, oh, God, oh, you know, Isaiah, the greatest writer of the, new, of the Old Testament, maybe, said this, God, oh man, I'm unclean before you. There was just something that happens to a heart that believes it's going to encounter and wants to encounter the living God, and that's a humility. It says that they humbled themselves, and then they prayed. And, they, and, and, I, and I trust that, again, this past year you did pray a little bit more, and I, and I hope that you pray even more this year than you did last year, as I think the results can be much different than what they, are, what they were last year. Amen. That's a great, great word. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it can be better this year. Do you believe that God's plans are going to prevail? I need to pray like I believe that. I need to let something happen inside of me. And then I need to seek his face. I need to seek his face. I need to not be satisfied as we started last year with saying, you know, what we want to do is experience God. I want every one of you to experience God. I don't want him to be some distant God. I don't want him to be some, you know, really we make an idol out of him. It's not what he's about. He's about encountering you personally so that he can talk to you and so that you will talk to him and that you can engage with him in that plan that's going to prevail. And so it's important for you this morning to say, and maybe just look past last year, did the Lord speak to me? Did he speak to me? And if he didn't, I would be concerned. If he didn't say anything to me all year long, I would be concerned. But let's always remember, no matter what, 
He kept coming back to the people as soon as they turned back to him. Over and over and over again. I just want to encourage us in that because the enemy would like to lie to you to say, no, he's not going to do that for you. It's a lie. But they sought his face. They sought his person. They saw him eye to eye. They stepped into this place where God really uh, engaged with them in this unique way that Jesus Christ paid a huge price for you to have. Do you believe you can go into God's presence? We have to believe that. And if you're in his presence, do you think he's going to be silent? No. He talks and talks and talks. And then it said they had to turn from their wicked ways. And I think this is important because he says, that, Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. We turn their backs on God. They were blessed. They turned their backs on God. They, they, they got attacked by the enemy. They turned back to God. And God came back to them and saved them. We have to, we have to realize that that. Now that's, that's some of the history in the Bible. But I want to peruse through briefly. And again, some of this information is on your notes. Or most of it should be. Uh, for you to do a little bit of uh, research. Because America has this rich, deep history of revival. And I found this to be amazing. And I'm looking forward to it for this year for us. What about the Great Awakening uh, in 1734 to 1743? What about the Great Awakening? Many of you would have heard of a, a person named Jonathan Edwards and the revival that he did. And he states this, after months... Uh, he was the pastor. After months of fruitless labor, he reported five or six people converted. <laughs> uh, and, and he wrote this. He said, there was one young woman that had been, been uh, one of the greatest company keepers. Okay? In other words, she was a harlot in the town. Okay? Greatest company keepers in the whole town. He feared her conversion would douse the flame, <laughs> but quite the opposite took place. 300 souls uh, were converted in six months in a town of only 1,100 people. And the news spread like wildfire. Reminds of the woman of the well, doesn't it? And he was worried about this person. And, and then we hear of John Whitfield in 1739 who uh, had undertaken, uh, the, he came on the, uh, the coattails of Jonathan Edwards' revival. And it says there were an estimated 900,000 colonists who personally heard him speak. Keep in mind, they did not have radio. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have any of those things. And, 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 and it said that many of them were saved in that, in that town. Uh, then there was the Businessmen's Revival, and you're going to start recognizing some of these as we get closer. There was the Businessmen's Revival in 1857, where a man named John Lanfear was hired by the city to become the businessman's uh, missionary or the businessman's pastor, because the business people were so discouraged about the way things were going economically. It was an evident thing. And so he opens up a prayer meeting in a church at noon and starts meeting with them. And pretty soon another church opened up and another church opened up. And there were, there were churches all over with these uh, business people coming to pray uh, uh, for their city and for their prosperity. Um, and the, the, some would call that the great prayer meeting revival. The great prayer meeting revival. Let me read you what it said in one of the articles. An estimated uh, one million people were added to, the, to America's church rolls, and as many as one million of the four, uh, the four million existing church members also converted. Okay. Who needs to be converted here? This is true because people sit in churches all the time unconverted. I hear stories like that all the time. Yeah, I went to church all my life, but then all of a sudden I had an encounter with God and it changed my life. I got saved. That's after sitting in churches for years, years and years. It's just a, uh, it's, it's, it's an understanding. Then there was what the, in 1861 to 65, there was a Civil War revival. It said, the bitter dispute over slavery thrust our nation into the deadliest war that we've ever experienced. By the end, 620,000 Americans lay dead 
It's hard to almost imagine some of this. It seemed as though the soldiers on both sides had left their Christianity at home and gone morally berserk. In 1862, the tide turned first among the Confederate forces. An estimated 300,000 soldiers were converted, even uh, divided between the southern and the northern armies. So this revival just breaks out at these certain times in history. And then there's the urban revival, which many of you would have heard of, Dwight L. Moody, an amazing evangelist uh, and a businessman. Uh, And that's interesting that throughout this thing that God used business people to, uh, to create and sustain these revivals. It says, Great Revival, 1857, it swept swept over Chicago. Moody later conducted revivals throughout the British Isles where he spoke to more than 2.5 million people. In 1875, Moody returned home and began revivals in America's biggest cities. Hundreds of thousands were converted. Millions were inspired by the greatest soul winning of his generation. I mean, just think about these numbers that these guys were having. It's none other than the sovereignty of God moving and people being ready for that to happen. That's what we have to see. It wasn't like man's schemes and man's plan, but it was God's plan. Because God is a, as we sang, he's a God of revival. Then there were the revivals of 1905 and 1906. Uh, Some would know them as the Welsh Revival and it moved to America, um, uh, and a man named Billy Sunday became the key figure in that day of proclaiming this message, uh, and it says that he preached to more than 100 million people with an estimated 1 million conversions. Wow, think about the, 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 the outreach of these guys uh, and then there comes to 1906. Now we're getting real close to home. Many of you remember, remember the Azusa Street Revival with uh, a man named William J. Seymour. He was a uh, one-eyed black man who actually started the, 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 the revival, came to Topeka, uh, and, and apparently was not accepted. And so William J. Seymour moves to Los Angeles and he starts the great Azusa Street Revival where multitudes of people uh, were saved. And that's where the Pentecostal and the Charismatic Movement began. And then there was the post-World War II awakening in 47 and 48, which was uh, really one that my pastor was birthed out of in Portland. Uh, his wife was a part of this revival, and, and, and he, he was too, but she was like in the middle of it. Uh, uh, Dick and Edie Iverson... Uh, where they called it the Latter Rain Movement, the Latter Rain Revival, uh, the Healing Revival, and uh, there was an amazing outpouring that just swept across the nation and nations. Uh, this is where Bill Bright came out of. If you remember him, Campus Crusades for Christ in 1949. Billy Graham came out of this revival. Uh, it's said that there was a little Sunday school teacher that led him to the Lord. <laughs> and uh, she probably thought, what am I doing? Just a little old Sunday school teaching. But she led one of the greatest in our day evangelists to the Lord, and he's now serving him. We just follow this through and we begin to see it. And then there's the charismatic and the, uh, and the Jesus movement. Uh, I was saved on the tail of the Jesus, Jesus movement. Anybody else here that was saved in that? You know, and, there, and there was a lot happening in that, in that day. Uh, and I just, uh, just think about the uh, different charismatic groups and, and, the, and, and so forth that were breaking forth. Uh, then there was the, the mid-90s revival. So now we're really close to home here. There was the charismatic and, uh, and, the, and the different uh, Pentecostal groups were really taking off. I think the Assembly of God Church was just going for it, uh, even to this day doing some of the greatest uh, missionary work that, that's being done by any organization. There was the Toronto Blessing. There was the Melbourne Revival. There was the Modesto Revival, which was actually uh, down the road from where I was, grew up in, Cal- in Sacramento, California. It was just down the road a bit where this revival was taking place in this little town. And it was just day after day after day. And people were getting saved every day. It was amazing. And then many of you would be familiar with what? The Brownville Revival. 
the Brown River Revival. And then uh, they say that there was maybe 100,000 conversions in the Brown River Revival in two years. Henry Blackaby came out of that movement, just a theologian. You may, have, may know him. Um, and then there was the Promise Keepers Revival. How many recognize that name? I hope you're seeing this progression of just times where, just seasons in between where it got really dry and all of a sudden God said, okay, they're coming back to me now because they're recognizing a dryness. They're recognizing a lack of the presence of God. And now they're turning back to me and they're humbling themselves and they're repenting and they're recognizing how far off they've gotten. And they keep coming back. And what does God do? He keeps coming back. The Promise Keepers Revival, one article said, a spirit of revival and transformation swept across America as millions of men attended. The revival reached its zenith in October 4th of 1997 as one million or more men gathered on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. Wow. By the close of 2000, Promise Keepers reported five million had attended 100 conferences and an additional one million men have been impacted since. And just look at the numbers of what happens all of a sudden. And now I want you to just take a second and think about yourself. You know, for me, it was pretty dramatic because I hear I was this totally lost sinner, uh, dying in alcohol and drugs and perversion and, and, and never, never heard the gospel. And now all of a sudden, the gospel message begins to be shared with me. And all of a sudden, I hear it, and that person is not just sharing it with me, but prayed for me and fasted for me for two years while sharing the gospel and being friends. And all of a sudden, one day, something starts moving upon me. I start inquiring toward God. I start inquiring toward Jesus. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing him start to speak to me. And now I can't avoid it. And finally, I go to church, and I get in the midst of the presence of God. Worship was amazing. Presence of God. And now all of a sudden, I'm, I'm hooked. And I go in there, and then after several weeks, seven weeks it was, of going to church all of a sudden, and the Holy Spirit speaking to me more and more and more. This is how important it is for you to share with people about Jesus. Don't be ashamed of him. <laughs> what is it Paul said? Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. And it gets a hold of me and pulls me in and turns my life completely around. And I just thank God, you can do this thing. If my people, if my people, he's looking for his people to arise up. I think we're living in one of those terrible days. I think we're living in one of those days where the bottom's falling out. And it might still fall out a little bit further before we're said and done. The bottom's falling out. And, and you might sit here confidently trusting in the Lord. You might be. You should be, I should say. <laughs> right? You should be sitting here confidently trusting in your God because his plan is going to prevail. His purpose is going to happen. It will not be stopped. But do you know that there's a lot of people out there, and some of you can maybe testify to your own concerns and fears that you've experienced over this past year. Just think of not having God in that picture for you, what it must be like out there. I think it was the founder of the Salvation Army that all of a sudden had a dream or vision of being on a ship bunches of people out in the water drowning, drowning. And everybody up on the ship enjoying the cruise when there were hundreds of life jackets and buoys and stuff that they could have thrown down to the people. But they were so busy enjoying the cruise, they totally missed what was really happening. I think that's where we're at. I think God's wanting to get our attention. Say, look at, I want you to just look out there. I want you to see what's really happening. I want to get a hold of your heart. I, I, he, he wants to come and fill us with his, 
his, his life, his spirit, his joy, everything that we sang about this morning. But then he wants us to go out and make a difference. Let me just give you some of these characteristics of revival. Timing. Revival always emerged in times of spiritual and moral decline, which led to intense prayer. Prayer. God puts a longing into the hearts of many to pray for revival. The word, the preaching or the reading of God's word brings deep conviction and a desire for Christ. The Holy Spirit takes people to a spiritual depth that they could not achieve on their own. In other words, the Holy Spirit just comes to you right where you're at and begins to speak to you in the depths of your heart. It's getting past your mind. It's getting past your emotions. And now it's getting into your heart. And then conviction. Affected sinners are uh, inconsolable and accept Christ. In other words, in these revival meetings where the presence of God became so heavy, sinners were running to repent. Their hearts were being totally convicted. Oh, I wish I could share the feeling with you if you've never had that. I remember so clearly to this very day, I see myself at the altar every time I bring this up. My heart just being totally convicted. But in a sweet way, you know, that special way (laughs) where you know how rotten you really are, but all of a sudden you're clean. All of a sudden you know the one that's telling you that so you'll respond to him is also telling you, but I died for you. I died for you. Wow. What about the glory of God? And I thought about that as we were singing those songs this morning. God receives praise and honor and glory. And then there's reformation and there's renewal. It starts spreading everywhere. And then you see signs and wonders begin to follow. I wanted to share this with you and, and as we wrap up right now this, this morning. I wanted to share this with you. It comes from a man named Evan, Evan Roberts. And he was the guy of the of the Welsh Revival. He was the guy that was used. Because I want to stir something in some of you. Hopefully everybody, but at least some of you, will catch this. Because I think this is the place to go. This is the place that we should try to head. The principal human agent. This was an article that was written about him. The principal human agent used by God in the Welsh Revival was Evan Roberts. Roberts was born on June 8th of 1878, and he died in 1951. He began working in the coal mines when he was 12, but soon felt the call to study for the ministry. He immersed himself in the study of the Bible. Roberts was 26-year-old when, 26-year-old when revival broke out. He'd been praying for it every day for 13 years. Wow. One of the things I felt, and I'll, I'll share more about this, is I think we just need to start writing, our, uh, writing out some prayers that we would be committed to pray every single morning out loud. We would pray every morning. We just get up every morning. This would be a part of our routine. Before I do anything else, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to make some proclamations, and I'm going to make some prayers, and I'm going to be involved in what God wants to do on this planet. He had a remarkable encounter with God that served to prepare him for what God was about to do. I don't think this is unusual. I've heard about it quite a bit, but I want to share it with you to stir and some stuff in you. One Friday night last spring when he was praying, when praying by my bedside before retiring, I was, I was taken up to a great expanse without time or space. Literally had this kind of encounter. It was communion with God. And before this, I had a far-off God. I was frightened that night, but never since. So great was my shivering that I rocked the bed, and my brother, being awakened, took a hold of me, thinking that I was ill. After that experience, I was awakened every night, a little one, a little after one o'clock. This was the most strange 
for through the years I slept like a rock and no disturbance in my room would awaken me. For that hour I was taken up into a divine fellowship for about four hours. It was, it, it, what it was I cannot tell you except that it was divine. And about five o'clock I was again allowed to sleep until about nine. And at this time I was again taken up into the same experience as in the earlier hours of the morning until about 12 or one o'clock. This went on for three months. It's not unusual. The Apostle Paul speaks of getting out, you know, not knowing whether he was on earth or in heaven. And I say that and I read that because I feel that God wants you to step deeper into him than you've ever stepped before. He wants your prayer time to be more personal than it's ever been before. He wants us, his people, to be able to engage with him in such a way that not only does it give us a revelation of, uh, uh, of what his plan and thoughts and purposes are, but it also gives us the unction to go do it to get us off of the seats and out into the world where the salt and light can impact the people out there that are dying around us and drowning in the water. But there were encounters that happened throughout history like that. And, and I think, Lord, I, I want to be of that nature. I want my prayer to go deeper than it's ever gone before. I don't want to just pray I, and 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 feel like I said some words and now I'm done. I want my encounter to be with you. I want to experience you. Remember Jacob, finally, when he got done deceiving and doing all the stuff he did to try to gain God's approval and will, finally had what? An encounter with God. God broke him, and the Jacob's ladder story comes out of that where the angel of the Lord ascended and descended and begin to expose to him something that was more real than he'd ever experienced in his life. And I just wonder this morning, how can we go deeper like that? How can you have that kind of experience and that kind of an encounter with the living God? I think he wants that with you. I think he wants that with me. I think he wants us to go deeper. I think he wants us to hear his plan and be prepared to fulfill it for what such a time as this. You're here because you can do the will of God for such a time as this. You were made for this. You were made to succeed through past last year and to also make it this year. And I'm thinking God's calling out of people. And maybe if I could just express it a little bit more, I think he's seeing what's happening with people around the world right now and his heart is breaking for that and he's thinking I've got the most powerful group of people on the planet what are they doing will we let revival come through us you just close your eyes for just a second I know I just raced through a lot of revivals through the Old Testament and the New. Hopefully not too fast, but just to give you a little taste of maybe what, what we're going to be up against this year. And I want it to be one of the greatest years that we've ever experienced. But some things might have to change in my life and in your life for this to happen. I can walk away and think that I don't know what we think, you know, it happened for them, it won't happen for us, or I'm just a little old me, I'm just a little peewee me, what can I do? Or will I get to the encounters with God to know exactly what he wants me to do and execute it and be on the team that he's building up to bring revival again to this world? whatever that might look like. You could be an Esther. You could be a Jonathan Edwards. You could be a D.L. Moody. You could be one of those. And if you are, God does, doesn't want you to think differently than that. He wants you to believe that. You're empowered by his spirit for such a time as this. He wants you to believe that. So, Father, I pray as we kick this year off, 
that something would be stirred inside of each and every one of us to not only desire you more, but also desire to be a part of what you're doing on the earth at such a time as this. We know, we know that revival is what's really needed. We know that you want to pour out your spirit on the earth because your word says that already. You want to cover the earth with your glory. And these are sure things, unlike other things that we would pursue. And I pray this morning that something would click in each one of us to, 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 to lock us into this thinking so that you're now able to go uh, this week even and begin to speak to us about purpose and plan and destiny that you have and that we would not, uh, Lord, miss out for any reason for any reason. God, thank you for your loving spirit. Thank you for your Holy Spirit this morning. I pray your blessing and favor. We prayed for it this morning that there would be healing over us. There would be divine protection over us even as the children of Israel experienced throughout the 40 years in the wilderness. Your divine provision and protection and covering and clothes lasted and all these things that you miraculously miraculously did. God, as they tended your house, the tabernacle. But I pray this year that we'd have that same divine covering over us. I pray also, God, that we would begin to think of, Lord, just the the spiritual legacy that we would build and leave for the next generation. One of might and power and glory of God. I thank you for everyone here this morning, everyone online. I'm praying that they would just be the presence and anointing of God upon us in a different way than it's ever been before for this year. We thank you, God, for your goodness and that your, uh, Lord, your word prevails over all. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.